Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone, welcome back to Oz Business. We kick off the afternoon with the call. 60 minutes, 10 stocks that you've suggested. I put it to our two experts for their analysis and uh, always promises to be a fun 60 minutes when we have these two blokes on board. Andrew Willard from uh, DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba, How are our favourite Queenslander, and Henry Jennings from uh, Marcus Today join us now. Uh, how are you, gents? G'day, Koshi. How are you? How are you very Henry? well, thanks, Koshi. Very Good. well. Excellent. I'm very well. Excellent. Well, I uh, we always run out of time with you two, so we might as well get straight into it. And uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's take a look. Uh, we're running a bit of a series. Um, this is the last week of it, where, where each of our experts on the panel, uh, we asked them if you had to pick one stock for a future fund, a fund that you wanted to put together to pay for your kids' education into the future, or if you're a grandparent, put aside for your grandkids to to help your, your own kids out to put through your, your grandkids through education, what would you put to the portfolio? Um, Andrew, let me guess. I've got a premonition. <laughs> it will be an ETF. Yeah. Koshi, you're a mind reader. I, I <laughs> must say, though, and I, I know we are short on time, so I'll keep this brief, but right. I noticed it was yesterday that one of your um, panellists had Argo. Yes. Argo was a very close second. Very ah, close. Okay. All right. Gary so, Glover from Novus had uh, had I go. That's that and Australian Foundation have been around forever, haven't they? In terms of oh, listed investment well, company. Yeah. So for the cricketers out there, you know, it was uh, Bradman's company there, South Australian based, of course, Koshi. So yep. yeah, certainly uh, Argo is a goodie. But ladies and gentlemen, mums and dads, boys and girls, Henry, today's choice uh, yep. from Vanguard. Uh, and a diversified ETF, VDGR. Right. And uh, it basically buys uh, six underlying Vanguard funds. So that's one of its strengths, but it's potentially uh-huh. also one of its weaknesses, that it's not as diversified across managers. But it has a range of exposures, Australian companies, international companies, fixed interest, small companies, uh, bonds, etc., and the fund has returned. It's been going about four years, but it's annualising about nine percent per annum returns. Mm. And so, really, the whole idea around this, and one of the reasons I really like Argo, is because its performance has been pretty sound. But its biggest issue is that it's got a, a lot of what we call concentration risk. So, in other words, it's all in on Australian shares. And as right. we know, there are periods of time where there's a bit of pain about. So. Uh, from our point of view, we like VDGR because it just gives you that 30% cushion, 30% in defensive assets. So if there's a bit of pain about, it sort of cushions you. So uh, okay. VDGR is the one that we use in the Violent household. Okay. Uh, Henry, what would be your stock? 
Well, it's not an ETF, David. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, otherwise, it would be the ETF show today. Yeah. And uh, we're not, we're not going to go down that path. The one that I picked, I guess I, I looked at stocks that have uh, the greatest, most uh, powerful force in the universe in terms of compound interest, as Einstein said. And that is always a great wealth creator, especially for young people. But I did actually pick one that I thought had some serious diversity, some bit of future fund-ishness in it because of where it's exposed, and that was West Farmers. Ah. Now, that may sound a little dull, and that does come from the Republic of Western Australia, uh, which is soon <laughs> to separate uh, along the COVID-proof fence. So I, I just looked at West Farmers. It's got a number of really good businesses, and we all know the Bunnings. We all know the Office Works. We all know Kmart, etc. But it's got a pretty strong balance sheet, to say the least. So strong that they're paying out two bucks as a special capital return, provided it is approved at the 21st of October meeting. So it's got a strong balance sheet, really good management. It's got a very disciplined approach to acquisitions. And it's kind of a diversified conglomerate because mm. not only has it got the household names that we've talked about, but it's also got speciality chemicals. And just to give it that future fund kicker, the sort of exposure to the future, it does have the lithium exposure when it bought Kidman Resources for, what, $1.90 uh, back in 2019. And that gives its access to the Mount Holland project with SQM. So it's got a lithium kicker, which I don't know if anybody really focuses on that with West Farmers. No. They tend to look at Bunnings, Officeworks, etc. But it has got that lithium kicker. The other attraction, I guess, is that it is currently in a bid for API, which is the pharmacy group, competing with Sigma Pharmacy there. Uh, they've offered, I think it's 155 cents in cash, whereas Sigma are doing kind of a, a merger proposal. So they are a disciplined mob. They don't pay up. They tried to have a go at Linus, if you remember, to get that exposure to rare earths. Missed out because the stock just sort of kept going up and... Um, yeah. Amanda Lacaz just said, no, thanks, we're not interested. And rightly so at the time. But um, I think for me, West Farmers got that nice conservative bias with Officeworks and Bunnings, plus the lithium kicker, speciality chemicals, disciplined management, good growth profile. And what's better is that it's been whacked recently as well. Yeah. So, um, kiddies, you might be getting a bargain from your old <laughs> Uncle Henry. And and also, it's sort of got a, a private private equity feel to it, doesn't it? In terms of a little private equity firm, and and it does it well. It, it does it very well. It, it you know it's come off its highs, fifty six bucks. It got to back down yeah. to fifty four. I think there was some uh, you know a few things that worried the market maybe. But you know here we are in reopening trade. We're all going to whip down to Office Works in person. We're going to be running around the aisles of Bunnings, trying to find middle-aged blokes in aprons, asking them questions as they scuttle off like cockroaches here, there, and everywhere, trying to ignore you on a Saturday morning. But for me, you know that lithium, the speciality chemical, they show great discipline with their acquisitions. Yep. Good capital management. Rob Scott's done a fantastic job there. Uh, it's a West Australian yep. icon. Okay. And I'm, you know, 54 right. bucks. Yep. It is. Fill your boots. All right. Let's uh, add that to our portfolio, West Farmers and the Vanguard Diversified ETF. Uh, uh, we'll keep building this little portfolio until the end of the week. And then because 
I get so nervous in October. Uh, next week I'm starting a, a different series of uh, uh, from each of our experts, the one stock they would have on their watch list for a crash, <laughs> to buy in a crash. Uh, because <laughs> I don't know, I'm too old. I remember, I remember all the Octobers where the thing just fell over and I get very nervous and the market looks a bit scary at the moment to me. It's all over the place. So we'll start that next week. All right, let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And the first one, uh, Henry, is Spirit uh, Technology Solutions. Uh, Alex says, I feel this has great growth potential in its industries. Would like to see what the experts think. Of course, they're in telephony, telco business, but uh, internet cloud solutions. Um, and uh, they've also bought NextGen as they move away from, um, if you like, the consumer market into wholesale and small business. Um, how's Spirit looking for you? Um, well, I've got to say, it's. Um not been the greatest ride for shareholders in terms of uh, performance so far. These guys have made lots of acquisitions. NextGen, of course, is their biggest acquisition, and it does place them firmly in the B2B market in terms of you know high-speed internet security, the cloud, all the cool and trendy things, mobile, etc. Um, and they have done a pretty good job in rationalising the brands. So I, I'm not ruling it out. I have to say it's a 140 million dollar company but it has had a pretty rocky old ride. It is starting to show some signs of improvement and maybe uh, they can get things back on track as far as the share price goes, but no doubt, you know, the business doesn't look too bad. It has been a little oversold and let's face it, you know, as you rightly say, Koshi, you know, we, we've had a little bit of volatility recently, especially mm -hmm. in the tech space and some of these sorts of stocks do uh, get whacked during that time. I'm not sure quite why a six hour outage on Facebook really should affect spirit technology, but there you go. Um, it just is a sentiment thing, but um, it is showing signs of life. So I'd probably be a nibbly buyer around here. They mm. certainly have shown that they can do acquisitions well and integrate them well and, and building on that B2B proposition. I guess one of the issues that they have is the, is the lumpiness sometimes of B2B and the contracts. Uh, that are involved there. So they can be a little bit lumpy. So sometimes you've got to look through uh, the sort of the, the quarterly performance and look at the yearly performance to get a true impression. But I think around these levels, it's starting to look a little mm. interesting, okay. I have to say. I'd put a, I'd, I'd put a buy on this one. Okay. Uh, Andrew, are you a nibbly buy on uh, Spirit Technology? Where's Nadine when you need her? She doesn't put up with any of this, Koshi. It's like... <laughs> Well, I had a definitive buy. Yeah, okay, all right. He went okay, from nibbly yeah, to definitive. started off a bit soft, but you came in a bit harder there at the end. Um, no, it's, it's, it's story it's, it's of my life. <laughs> it's a uh, family friendly show. It's a hold. Um, right. Look, there's a few things to like. Um, you've got the CEO and the chair buying shares, which is always a positive. You've got it trading well below consensus. Consensus is about 43 cents, albeit there's one, but nevertheless. But what are the negatives? Henry's really enunciated it well. It's a very lumpy seasonal business. 
The other issue is that there's a lot of integration risk going on at the moment. So they basically sort of like a little Pac-Man going around buying little businesses. So they've got to try and deal with that issue. Uh, as we just saw before, the chart just looks terrible. Mm. Uh, so that's a real concern from my point of view as well. So, and the, sort of the final uh, nail in the coffin for me is the fact that it's pretty liquid. There's only about $86,000 worth of shares a day that go through. So I agree with Henry. It looks like an interesting business, but from my point of view, if it can't hold, just looking at the chart, sort of around that 15 to 20 cent mark, um, that's not looking so flash. Or in other words, if you can get it in that 15 to 20 cent mark, you're looking all right. But at these levels, it is a hold, not okay. a nip. All right. Thank you, Alex, for that suggestion. Um, Andrew, Stephen wants to view on RPM Automotive Group. Uh, Stephen says, boring company with a roll-up strategy, not much coverage. Uh, market doesn't like boring businesses, but as an investment, it seems cheap, uh, according to Stephen. Management flagged on a COVID unaffected year. They should uh, achieve 85 million revenue. Also have a goal of achieving 154 million turnover by FY24, uh, which if they get anywhere close to that, will make today's uh, share pricing dirt cheap. Of course, they're in the, the tire uh, mechanical repairs, sports apparel um, uh, niche. Uh, recently bought a couple of Queensland auto parts distributors as well and building a new warehouse in Townsville. What do you think of RPM? Uh, take away the Queensland bent of what I just said. Sorry, sorry, I was just about to... Sorry, no, back, back to I, the analysis. I could see you getting, a, getting quite excited about that. Uh, look, interesting business. Really interesting business. And again, another one of these acquisitive Pac-Man style businesses, which is great because it gives them scale quickly. But the flip side is that, you know, from a cultural and integration point of view, it can potentially be an issue if they don't do it right. They've been doing it right so far. And as you said, they've got some pretty good uh, brands, that car line, uh, exhaust, or that RPM race, where probably a couple of viewers might be familiar with. So it's a really strong business. It's trading on a pretty undemanding PE. It's only around 13 times earnings. And if they can hit those growth targets, they're, they're doing pretty well. And they're being, being pretty clever about it, Koshi, in that when they're making these acquisitions, it's 50% cash, but it's also 50% script as well. So it basically means that they're using their uh, highly valued tape going out and buying businesses, but it also means that the people who have been acquired have got um, skin in the game and making sure that they help contribute to the future growth of the business. Management owns around 30%, which I really like. That's skin in the game, as I was just mentioning before. Again, though, my only uh, quibble is that you've only got about $65,000 worth of shares a day that are actually being traded. So on balance, I think it's a hold, but it is a, a really interesting business that uh, I continue closely. Okay. Um, Henry, what do you think of RPM? All revved up and nowhere to go. Um, <laughs> I guess with with RPM, and Andrew's spot on really, it's it's a small cap company, it's not huge, and I, it takes a certain skill, I would imagine. I've never done it before, so it's, it's not really in my, in my skill base, but certainly I would say it takes a certain skill to do acquisition after acquisition after acquisition. It takes a certain amount of management sense and clout to be able to pull off the integrations properly. Now, they have bought a bunch of tyre businesses, and as Andrew says, the, the, the name on the door is RPM Automotive, and you can buy your race gear and your helmets and your race suits and all that from it. But that's becoming less of a focus than the tyre business. 
and there's lots of puns I could do about bouncing around, etc. Uh, but I've got to say, for me, it's probably a hold. I think I'd like to see some evidence that they're getting it right. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of, of small company roll-ups, only because you know, small companies don't always have the quality of management to, to, to really handle the roll-up. So I think that is a danger. You can get bogged down. You can run too fast, swallow too much, bite off more than you can chew, etc. Uh, they have made a bunch of acquisitions in Queensland, which I got, I, you know, why would you do that? Why in Queensland? I mean, why not <laughs> somewhere in, 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 a, in a sensible business state rather than, uh, rather than Queensland? For me, for me, it's a hold. It's not an ARB. It's, it's not uh, in that kind of mold. It's more... I guess, you know, tyres, they're, they're a necessity and we're coming out of lockdown, so people are going to be out and about in their cars looking at them going, hey, I need to get some tyres, I need to get the car service. So uh, maybe it's a bit of a anti-lockdown trade. So okay. it's a hold from me. All right. Okay. Uh, Henry, Maggie wants a view on Harvey Norman, the big retailer. Everyone knows who Harvey Norman is. A lot of people don't know. They're in New Zealand, Singapore, Malaysia, Slovenia, Croatia, Ireland, and Northern Ireland. So it's not just here in Australia. And uh, have really been a beneficiary of, of COVID, haven't they? Well, they, they were certainly a beneficiary of JobKeeper, uh, which uh, they did, give they back, did well to. They gave some of it back. Right, okay. They gave some of it back, Koshi. They didn't give all of it back. Um, <laughs> And, you know, those are the rules. So I guess you've got to play by the rules. The, the stock's come off quite a long way from 580 to uh, where are we now, around 480. I've got to say, I don't mind Harvey Norman. Uh, you know, love him or hate him. Jerry is probably, you know, one of the top four retailers in Australia. Yep. You've got uh, Solly Lou, Brett Blundy, and uh, Mark McGuinness. Uh, Mark McInnes and and you got Jerry. I mean, Jerry's certainly probably the most high-profile of those. And at 480, it doesn't look bad. It's got geographical diversity. It's got uh, you know that whole reopening trade. We're all going to be busting to whip into Harvey Norman. I know my wife is at the moment. She's talking outdoor furniture. So guess where we're going? Harvey Norman <laughs> will be first on the list on uh, Tuesday on Monday morning at lunchtime. I'd say uh, heading out there and spending ill-gotten gains on uh, on Harvey Norman stuff. So, yeah, I, I think it's been overdone to the downside. And I think, you know, Jerry probably doesn't do himself any favours, really, sometimes with his strident attitude, uh, which can put a few people offside. But it's got that geographical diversity. It's got that strength in earnings. It's got a property portfolio to die for. And, you know, we know where property is at the moment. It's a, it's mm. a massive revaluation job if nothing else for Harvey Norman so I think it's a buy at these levels yep. I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to be I'm not going to be Mr. Wishy-Washy this is a yeah. buy okay and of course uh, Jerry has always been as tight as with a dollar um, but the rule brains oh, yeah. rule brains in that organization is Katie Page uh, whose partner actually yep. does, does all the work um, Jerry does the talking she does the work and he won't mind me saying that. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Harvey Norman? Yeah, look, I, I, I like Harvey Norman as well. And to Henry's point, are we buying a retailer? And we certainly can't dispute uh, Jerry Harvey or Katie Page's ability for one moment. Or are we, in fact, buying a listed property trust? Because yep. as my learned friend quite rightly points out, you've got a $3.4 billion portfolio of 95 properties. 
so it is a very strong business and it's not just a, a one-trick pony. They've got a, a couple of strings to their bow, so to speak. Uh, obviously a COVID beneficiary, but arguably uh, since the lockdown, which I obviously don't need to talk to people in Sydney and Melbourne about over the last 14, 15 weeks, has that, has that in fact impacted their trading? And arguably, arguably yes. So um, I like the fact that uh, Jerry Harvey and Paddy Page own about 33% of the business. But again, from an institutional point of view, that's a bit of a turnoff. Um, it does look cheap. It's trading on a PE of 11. Mm. Uh, and that chart, if it can hold 490, 490 is a pretty critical level for it. If it can hold 490, then it certainly should rebound. Um, the other thing I like, and just back to uh, Henry's comment around Wesfarmers, which is one of my favourites as well, Wesfarmers has got a return on equity of 25%. Uh, Harvey Normans, interestingly, has got a 23% return on shareholders' funds. Wow. Businesses that have got these strong ROEs te generally tend to be pretty good performers as well. But the profit margin for Harvey Norman is 19% per annum relative to our friends at Wesfarmers, which is about 7 so uh, I too am putting Harvey Norman in the buy corner. Okay, and uh, when, you, when you've got founders as significant shareholders, that return on investment is doubly important, isn't it? <laughs> There's an incentive there. All right, Harvey Norman's already in the calls fantasy portfolio, so it stays there as a result. Um, Sean wants to view Andrew on the VanEck China New Economy ETF. Um, Sean says, is it different from other Chinese ETFs as it's more domestic facing? Uh, the sponsor says the shares are held under a special license. Are there any extra risks with this? Um, what do you think of this ETF and investing in China at the moment when that big Evergrande thing is <laughs> hanging over it at the moment? Yeah, well, I might deal with the macro first and then sort of dive into yep. senior. And quite right, the macro picture for China is murky at best because you're quite right, we've got Evergrande. What's their debt burden? About half Australia's total debt. So yep. that's certainly a bit of a concern. Uh, the other thing, though, is you have a far more interventionist government, which says a lot when you're talking about the Communist Party. Uh, you know, things around gaming, things around online education, etc. So President Xi coming into his uh, re-election early next year is uh, certainly putting his um, sort of uh, stamp of, of authority on the economy. So from a broader economic point of view, you have seen a lot of um, foreign money leave China because of that sort of sovereign risk, if I can put it that way. Yep. So if we then look into CNU itself, and to Sean's question, and in fact, I did reach out to uh, Van Eck on this because I wasn't across all the details relating to Sean's um, question relating to special licence. So basically, uh, Van Eck have, one of, um, have got one of two ETFs that actually hold shares in mainland China, as opposed to a number of ETFs, other ETFs that are either dealing through Hong Kong or US ADRs. Right. So Van Eck's products, uh, this one and CETF C actually own A-class shares in Shenzhen and in Shanghai. So that right. certainly makes it unique from that point of view. And then from a licensing point of view, uh, they actually use a custodian ICBC bank. So from a, a risk point of view, unless the Chinese government were to completely change the rules, which with due respect, they have a bit of a habit of doing, but it's very unlikely. Uh, there's certainly no additional risk there. And to see news focus, 
it really does focus on companies that have got sort of domestic consumption, economic transformation. It's very heavy in food. It's very heavy in consumer durables. So I like the thematic. It's about 120 companies, but that broader economic macro picture of China does concern me. So it is a hold. Right. Okay. Uh, Henry? Um, this one holds absolutely no interest for me at all. Um, investing in 129 of the companies that I've never, ever heard of in China, which is a command and control economy at the whim of a somewhat mercurial president, seems crackers to me. I don't know why you'd even look at this one, to be honest. I know that everyone goes, oh, China, it's fantastic growth, brilliant. Um, well, yeah, you know what? We are geared to China. If you want gearing to China and want exposure and diversity in our market, just buy Fortescue. Yep. You know, if China's going well, we're going well. Why wrap yourself up in 129 stocks that you've never heard of? Sovereign risk, rule change risk, tax implication risk. There was an article today in the Fin Review about tax treatment of ETFs, which is somewhat complicated to say the least. I'm sure Andrew is well and truly across this. Um, as one of Australia's premier ETF experts and financial planners. But it's not the easiest situation. I just can't see, I just don't understand why you would you know, possibly look at this. If you want exposure to global growth, exposure to Chinese growth, you know, we had a, a balance of payments, what was it, 15 billion in Australia the other yeah. day? Yeah. We are so exposed to China, it's not funny. Uh, why you'd want to invest in 129 companies that you've never heard of and have not yeah, well, yep. do. It's yep. beyond me. So for me, it's a sell. Okay. All right. I know on the, and just on that tax office warning, uh, but um, Henry has thrown the hand grenade in. Um, Andrew, uh, basically, it's a reminder Sorry. from the the tax office, basically to new investors, is a into ETFs saying you got to treat them like shares. Um, if you get a distribution, or there's um, you, you get paid in units. That's like being paid in cash. So you've got to declare it as income. Is that so more of a reminder of that? Yeah, exactly right, Koshi. I mean, you're, you're in a DRP scheme with CBA. Yeah. It's income. Yeah, you know? like it's, it's right. no different. But you're right, because you've got these wave of new investors who aren't familiar with the basic rules. Yeah. And the article saying about 46,000 odd have been asked for further information. So yeah. you, you get an annual tax statement from each of the ETF providers to the point where it actually even tells you which box to put the numbers into on your tax return. So yeah. it's not yeah. complex from that point okay. of view. All right. Um, Matt ha is asking uh, Henry about Brookside Energy, uh, particularly with the rising oil and gas prices. Thoughts on the next 12 months for this company, what oil price up to a, a seven year high overnight. Brookside is um, uh, oil and gas explorer, so it doesn't really produce. The Jewel well is the one that it's uh, drilling around and exploring at the moment. Um, how does Brookside stack up, Henry? Uh, well, I've got to say, Koshi, this I hadn't actually heard of this company until uh, until I was asked to have a look at it. They've got, as you say, the dual well. They're bringing on another project, Ranger. It's in the Anadarko Basin in the US. And they recently did a placement at $0.03, cents, which I suspect is keeping a little bit of a lid on the price. 
they're getting about a thousand barrels a day out of the dual well uh, which is above their expectations so you know it's it's a producing oil and gas asset now which is good clearly it's going to use the cash flow from the likes of uh, Jewel to, to help fund Ranger and help push out their envelope of projects in the, uh, in America. Um, yeah, you know, not I've got to say, not for me. I think there's better oil and gas plays at the moment. It's, this is a tiddler as well. I personally like Karun, which uh, is in uh, Brazil. It bought a big, big project oh. in Brazil. It used to be a cash box, bought a big, big project in Brazil. It's done really well for us in the small cap portfolio. Um, I hadn't looked at Brookside. There is some options out there when they did the issue at three cents. Uh, it's probably a hold given oil prices where they are, but a thousand barrels a day is nice and it will fund some cash flow, but it will depend on what they come up with next to some extent. You know, they're not going to be paying out money to dividends. They're not going to be popping champagne corks until they get production up and more yeah. than one well in production. Okay. So, uh, for me, it hold probably better ways to play the oil and gas sector at the moment. Okay, and you, you in in that small end, you'd be looking at Karoon, which has uh, um, had a pretty good run over the last couple of months as well, trading around dollar sixty four. It, it has. It's yeah, it's probably not really the small. But the one maybe to look at as well is a thing called Byron Energy, which had a big big push some time ago. They're in the Gulf of Louisiana with a thing called SM fifty eight and the various other projects and they've consolidated a bunch of other drilling assets around there. They are in production but they have been under a bit of a cloud uh, with the uh, Gulf of Mexico hurricane season not helping. Wow. So that might be one to have a look at as well. Okay. Uh, what do you think of Brookside, Andrew? Yeah, hadn't had a lot to, to do with it uh, I hadn't, as in dealing through it. So when you sort of have a look you see that it's an $87 million company listed both in Australia and Frankfurt. Those German viewers watching today, hello. Um, they just went and raised around $9 million back in August at $0.03 cents a share, and we were at the moment about $0.2.6. Cents. So, uh, look, agree with everything my learned friend says, but uh, from my point of view, if I was buying a direct share, I'd buy Beach, BPT. Uh, it's trading on a P of 8 and forecast uh, earnings per share growth this year of 37%. Uh, the macro environment for energy is super positive. And so we've been buying fuel, F-U-L-E. I think we covered that off last time. Uh, Koshi, for clients looking for sort of global energy companies, but domestically, Beach is the way to play it from our perspective. Okay. All right. Um, let's just uh, recap the uh, the first five stocks. Our future fund stocks, uh, West Farmers from, uh, from Henry and the Vanguard Diversified ETF from uh, Andrew. Uh, Spirit, um, Henry went from a nibbly buy to a, uh, to a solid buy on Spirit at these <laughs> levels. Uh, Andrew is a hold. RPM Auto, a hold from both. Uh, Harvey Norman, a buy from both. Um, the Van Eck China is a hold from Andrew and uh, Henry wouldn't even go near it. Uh, Brookside is a hold from Henry, a no from Andrew. Um, if uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Nabtrade. Any stocks that get two ticks from our expert panel, like Harvey Norman has done today, go into the portfolio. If they come up again and get a hold or, or ticks again, they stay in the portfolio. 
down a percent for the week, uh, about two and a half percent for the month, down and up three percent since the first of July this year. Uh, since inception, uh, the fantasy portfolio is up thirty nine percent. Some of the stocks recently added: Accent, Calix, Cogstate, Chuas, and Early Pay. Uh, some of the stocks uh, removed: uh, Nick Scarly, AT Milk. Uh, New Hope and Medical Developments. Uh, you can check all the, uh, the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, let's get into the second half and uh, we'll stick with you, Andrew, on this. Uh, Michelle wants a view on the iShares Global 100 ETF with the question, is this a good option for a beginner investor wanting to get into the market? Uh, I might deal with the, the ETF first and then sort of come back to, is it a good one to kick off yep. with? So as the as the name or the ticker, it's a pretty clever ticker, suggests it buys the top 100 global companies as rated by, or as ranked by S&P Global. Um, it's a $2.4 billion fund, so it's a pretty big fund. Um, interestingly, if you sort of look under the hood, so to do that, anyone can do that, you just literally go to the website, go down to the bottom where it says holdings and you have a look, you'll see that in fact Apple and Microsoft make up, wait for it, 24% of this wow. fund. So two companies, 24%. Um, which comes back to your view on tech, if you think that you know, technology companies are going to continue going along and rising bond yields aren't a concern, you know, get stuck into it. But uh, if you're a little bit concerned about rising bond yields and impact upon valuations, then perhaps that could be a bit of an amber light for you. Um, a compare and contrast would be uh, Vanguard's product VGS. So the IOO is unhedged and so is the VGS product from Vanguard. It owns the top 1,503 companies across the world. And again, coming back to our friends at Microsoft and Apple, they only make up about 8% of that index. So potentially, nothing wrong with IO. I, I personally have IO in my portfolio, but uh, the Sarand Superfund. But the um, if you're looking, if you're worried about concentration risk, that would be a concern for me. The performance, it's up 15% per annum over the last three years. Similarly, that Vanguard product VGS is as well. Um, and the ongoing fees that MER is about 0.4% per annum. So it's not too bad at all. So um, certainly nothing wrong with it. I like it. I use it personally, but there are other competing products out there as well. Coming back to uh, Michelle's question, though, is this a good one to start with? Look, there's nothing wrong with it. But to me, why wouldn't you just start with an Australian one? Right. If you haven't got any at all, why wouldn't you just start with STW or IOZ or A200 or one of those that just literally buys the top 200 companies in Australia? Right. And then uh, once you've done that, then maybe you sort of start looking at an international one. But I touched very briefly on the hedging piece. If you're a, a new investor, perhaps you might want to have something with a bit of hedging in there, IHOO or VGAD. Whereas if you have something unhedged and we're open to the vagarities of the market, the currency market, and you're only paying three basis points more for that protection, I'd probably go for something hedge. Yeah. So probably okay. not one for a beginner, but certainly nothing wrong with it either. Uh, but begs uh, the question, don't ETFs readjust? Like if you looked at this, this one saying the top 100 global companies, you would think they would all have an equal weight and every so often they'd adjust if a couple of stocks got out of control and bring it back. 
it's not equal weighted, Koshi. It's market weight. So yeah. because Apple and Microsoft are so huge, understandably uh, so, right. we all use their products. Um, but you're quite right. If, and that's one of the things when maybe we can cover it off on our ETF special, Koshi. You know, mm. a way to potentially uh, protect yourself is to look for an equal weight strategy. And there's a few different ones out there. MVW, QUS is an example whereby you don't necessarily expose yourself to 20% plus exposure to right. two companies okay. in an ETF. All right. Henry, got any interest in this ETF? Oh. Straight into the ETF special. Um, <laughs> this seems to be ETF day. Uh, and and uh, the, the vagarities, I'm not sure if that's a word, Andrew. Um, but anyway. Uh, I guess for me, the whole point of ETFs is diversity, being able to diversify your risk and being able to get exposure to assets that you weren't able to get in the Australian market. And, you know, if, if you're looking to diversify a portfolio or diversify your risk, this one is taking a huge amount of risk in four stocks. You know, forget Apple and Microsoft being uh, 23, 24% of it, but then you've got Amazon and Google, that brings it up to over 40%. Oh, so you wow. are really uh, concentrating your risk. So for me, it doesn't really diversify away any risks. Now, I can, oh. I can understand people looking at things and saying, okay, I want exposure to a theme. I want exposure to, um, you know, ACDC, the battery tech space. Andrew is very big on that one. Um, I can understand that because it's hard to get set in a basket and, and certainly minimize your risk by getting that basket uh, in a theme. Whereas this to me is, is concentrating your risk even more. Uh, and I, I just can't see really why you would do that. If you wanted to, you know, nowadays you can buy US shares direct. Why not just buy Amazon and, and Facebook or Google yep. uh, or Apple? And then, you just, and then you know what you're getting. So for me, it's a no, but of course, it is predicated on global markets. So, uh, you know, you, you're asking the question ultimately is, do you think markets are going to go higher or lower? I, I, you know, I think a lot of ETF investors coming to the game, uh, new beginners think, um, you know, that this, this kind of bull rally lasts forever. This, this mm. goes on forever. The ETFs are some magic uh, method of, of becoming rich uh, because the market always goes up. Trust me. It doesn't always go up and things do happen along the way. And anybody with a long enough memory and, and been around a while will know that, uh, you know, 87 happens. We've had Asian crises. We've had GFCs. We've had uh, tech wrecks, you know, it does dot, yep. yeah, dot coms. Um, so, you know, I, th I think a lot of people starting out go to ETFs and go, oh, it's a magic panacea. This is, you know, how easy is this? So I just buy a basket of diversified stocks and it always goes up. You know what? It doesn't always go yep. up. Um, it is about timing. It is about taking interest and reading the, the product disclosure statement on the basket of stocks or the theme that you're buying. It's very important to do that because yep. not only all ETFs are created equal. A lot of them are just managed funds that trade. Yep. With, yep. with low fees. Low fees, yep. You know? All right. Let's uh, make, up a, make up an index. Okay. All right. Andrew's giving him a wry smile there. He's being wound up. Uh, Chandana wants a view, Henry, on Macquarie Telecom Group, the, uh, the data center group. They're planning to uh, build another data center at Macquarie Park. Uh, share price 
has, uh, has had a really good run. What do you think of Macquarie Telecom Group? You've got NextDC in that area as well. Uh, yeah, Macquarie Telecom has been a fantastic performer. It's up around 40% from when it started announcing that mm-hmm. uh, Macquarie Park data centre. It really has shot the lights out. The only problem with Macquarie Telecom is it's really, really thin. Some days it trades a couple of thousand shares, 5,000 wow. shares. The, uh, there is a majority owner of the company, David Tudorhope, uh, who owns 51.2-ish percent of the company. And the other 49% doesn't seem to trade very often. I don't know. It's very sticky hands. Everyone loves this stock. I, I like this stock still. Data centers are a fantastic place to be. These guys have executed extraordinarily well, but it's just really thin. Some days you see it up 5% and you look at the volume, it'll be 2,000 shares. Wow. Um, you know, I've seen some valuations of, a, of 100 bucks if you put it on a, even a sort of a 12 times enterprise value to EBITDA valuation and, and build in some of that growth coming out of Macquarie Park. You know, you could easily see this to be 100 bucks. It's, it's quality, they execute well. Uh, David's done a fantastic job. It's just really thin. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd say buy, but it's run so hard. And if somebody wanted to sell 20,000 shares, it could knock it down 10%, to be honest, right. uh, and then bounce back up again. So uh, that, that is the problem with this one. I think, you know, you, you probably buy a few and uh, wait for the odd day when you can uh, get set uh, if someone back. decides to sell. Okay, yeah. so not, not at these levels. And look at that five-year chart four dollars to 76 yeah Blimey. it's been yeah. a great run yeah um what do you think andrew yeah i like it a lot um but pretty hard to get set in it as my learned friend says and so really it's a sort of a when everyone's throwing the baby out with the bathwater sort of day that's um excuse me that's probably the time to be buying it but uh pretty hard to rationalize 76 bucks at the moment i know consensus is about 80 so you've got a little bit of a margin of safety there but ideally andrew the miserable in the 70s is probably probably where you want to be so okay no. <laughs> all right andrew uh chris wants to be on the van Eck msci international quality etf uh chris says look at investing in a low-cost index fund tracking the s p 500 what are your thoughts on this is it better to buy one on the US exchange? Pros and cons, US versus Australian tax implications. I'm 65, so not looking to hold for more than five or 10 years. Oh, Chris, be more optimistic than that. You've got longer yeah. than that in you, big fella, I hope. Yeah, Chris, Chris you can <laughs> stick with the green bananas, mate. You'll be fine for a little while today. <laughs> um, no, I... Uh, there's a few moving parts to this question, Koshi, so I might try and break it down briefly. Uh, first of all, Qual is the one ETF to rule them all, as we all know. You yeah. know, there is only one ETF, and that is Qual. So, uh, and I think we can, is that the drop the mic moment? Uh, but to answer Chris's question, he talks about an index fund that follows the S&P 500. That is not Qual. Right. That is not Qual. He might be looking for, she might be looking for, IVV, IVV from iShares would be that ETF and talk about low cost, it's four basis points. So Qual, and I won't go on too much about Qual because I've spoken too much about it before, but basically buys top quality companies, 298 of them, 
its MER, its ongoing fee, 40 basis points. If you just want a low cost ETF that just follows the S&P 500, and to that conversation we briefly just had before about Microsoft and Apple, et cetera, et cetera, 27% of that index, IVV will do it for four basis points. So we're not really talking about the same sort of thing. Um, probably a really interesting one, what, though, Koshi, was the pros and cons of Australia versus US tax implications. So I'm not an accountant. Henry is not an accountant. I think you are, but you don't want to give tax advice, Koshi. No. no. Um, high level, I would be very cautious in buying anything directly US listed because you are then potentially exposing yourself to US estate planning laws. Yes. So you really want to be buying something, in my view, saying something Australian domiciled because you're then not exposing yourself to that. So that's certainly why we prefer Australian listed ETFs. So right. on balance, IVV if you want that S&P exposure, QUS if you want that equal weight, but of course the one ETF to rule them all is indeed Okay. Uh, Henry, do you want to buy into this question or we move on to a stock? Move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be the case. Um, Sandy wants a view then, Henry, on, uh, on Magellan. Uh, Sandy says, Magellan yeah. out of favour. I'm holding a lot of cash, uh, Sandy is. Um, this could bode well if the market drops and if Magellan doesn't seem... Uh, doesn't seem reasonably priced. Is, is this a buy? No, um, I've got to say, I've, <laughs> I've hated this one for a long, long time, and I have been proved right. Uh, there was a time when we all bought into Magellan because we thought it had exposure to the market. It's a, you know, it's a glamour fund manager. Hamish has done a stunningly brilliant job. He is a rock star. He is a great marketer of this fund. Um, but I think in the last few months, they have lost their way. Uh, maybe in the last year or so, they certainly were quite uh, reluctant about the whole vaccine issue. Um, and, you know, they've spent a lot of time with Baron Joey Capital setting that up. There's been lots of distractions. They have been heavily exposed to Asian tech as well. And we all know where that's ended up in the toilet. And we even saw today that the funds under management for Magellan uh, dropped and we've had more outflows there. Uh, what did we go to? 113 billion, 113.3 in September. It was 117.9 in August. So we're actually back to where we were in June in terms mm. of that uh, funds under management. Now, fund managers have two sources of income. They have uh, the management fee, which there's pretty much like an ETF, I guess, while we've been talking those in terms of how much they charge just to look after your money. But the big kicker for the management of a fund is that performance fee. And that's what these guys live or die for. That's what pays the big bonuses. That's what gives them the waterfront apartments and the, and the boats and the cars, etc. This is what fund managers live for is those performance fees. And to be honest, it has been suboptimal for Magellan. Their performance has been suboptimal. Now, it enjoyed a a, a golden run for some time and got quite expensive, mainly because a lot of financial planners and a lot of advisors just love the marketing. You go to a Magellan, it, it, it's like being it's a, a Hillsong. You know, there's, there's 2,000 <laughs> people all singing, yep. all singing from the well, it's an easy sell, all singing from the same song sheet. We're all waiting with, with bated breath for Hamish to come on and pronounce his words of wisdom, but they have been few and far between, I've got to say. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it has turned yet. The fact okay. that their money is walking out the door 
for me is still a concern. The performance is still a concern. Their exposure to okay. Asia is a concern. And I'd like to see them get back on track. So I will wait, not for um, me at the moment. Interesting, last week, um, one of the panel recommended MFF Capital, which is Hamish's original partner who sold out of Magellan and then started his own, So, um, which is a much smaller fund. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Magellan? Are you, uh, are you still rocking to the rock star? How do I, how do I follow the, up? Yeah, uh, you're in the mosh pit. I'm in the mosh pit. Uh, look, he's, Hamish and friends are obviously super smart people. Uh, and if you look at the high level numbers, 40% return on shareholders funds and a 59% margin, this is not a bad business. However, that chart looks absolutely dreadful. It's probably the second worst chart we've had on here today. And I just, I mean, I said at 50 bucks, it looked interesting coming into profit reporting season. That was probably my worst faux pas for the year. Uh, it's looking very, very ordinary for many of the reasons that Henry's just spoke about. They've made the wrong bets. If we're talking briefly about ETFs, because we haven't really covered enough of those today, um, they've got some of the highest <laughs> uh, in the market. Yeah. And there's only one way that ETF fees are going. Like take Vanguard just very briefly. They dropped their fixed interest uh, bond uh, fees a couple of days ago. And they're not the only ones. There's lots of them doing it. So there's margin compression going on. Their performance hasn't been great. It is definitely not a buy. It is arguably a hold. And if it can't hold 30 bucks, it potentially becomes a sell. Okay. All right. And our final stock, Andrew, is uh, Bigger Cheese, the, uh, the big dairy processing manufacturing distribution group, um, sold cheese around 40 different countries around the world, recently bought um, Lions uh, drinks business in November last year. What do you think of Bigger? And don't forget the peanut butter as well, of course, Koshi. And and Vegemite? Yeah. No, look, I like it. Uh, when we covered it back in July, I said it was a buy and it remains a buy today. Uh, consensus is 6.53. For those playing at home, it's $5.40 odd. So I, I quite like it. And if we are moving into a time of a bit of volatility, a bit of uncertainty, you probably want some consumer staples in your portfolio. And certainly uh, Bega ticks that box. So uh, quite relaxed with Bega. I think it is a buy. Okay. Henry? Well, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Andrew as well with this one. There's, I don't know if there's a dairy ETF we could talk about. I'm sure there is somewhere. Maybe it's called Milk, M-I-L-K. Um, but Bega to me looks like a potentially a bit of a buy. The only thing I would say that's overhanging it at the moment is there are some market rumours going around that it's looking to buy uh, Fonterra's business in Australia. Now, it made a pretty much a, a transformational acquisition uh, earlier, I think it was towards the end of last year, Lion yeah, uh, Dairy, uh, which, which it did uh, raise a bunch of equity to, to pay for that. Um, so that, that is a transformational business. The Fonterra business, if that was to go ahead, again, that would be a pretty good acquisition for the company. There's a bit of a uh, licensing deal between the two companies, which would be extinguished if they took them over. It probably means that they would have the field to themselves in terms of uh, no other competing bids. And there are some suggestions they could get some synergies out of putting the two together of 35 to 45 million bucks. So that is another positive there. 
But the question, I guess, is, is how they fund that purchase and whether it would require some sort of capital raise. If it did, that would be a, a good opportunity to, to buy some more. Um, but I think here, given its defensive mm. quality, and we're all going to be out picnicking and enjoying the summer with our um, rounds of cheese, then um, it's, a, it's a buy. Okay. Let's put a buy on it. Uh, just out of interest, Andrew, is there a dairy ETF? Milk? I know my friend was being facetious, but uh, if we take it one logical step, I know it's hard to believe Henry, Henry and facetious, they're almost sort of mutually exclusive, but um, food <laughs> is the ETF that you're looking for, Koshi, from our friends and it's in high rotation and so in other words what it mean what i'm saying is we're buying it here at uh, dp wealth because again concern about inflation concern about climate change concern about rising um, food prices we're certainly um, um, loading our boots up on food okay see um henry henry gives it to you on ets but he sort of puts these little zingers in to show he's got an interest in them so Henry Jennings from Marcus today, Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory. Always great to catch up with you two. Incredibly informative and a lot of fun. Good on you guys. Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks, gents. Thanks, Crossy. Thanks, Andrew. They are a lot of fun, aren't they? They are just terrific. Um, Let's recap the final five stocks. Uh, iShare Global ETF um, doesn't track the S&P 500 in answer to our viewers' specific question, but uh, um, so isn't uh, probably the one for you. Uh, and also uh, there's a Vanguard one that's uh, probably better for you. Um, Macquarie Telecom and no. Uh, Vanek uh, MSCI quality ETF, uh, a yes from Andrew, a no from Henry. Uh, Magellan, a hold from Andrew, an absolute no from um, uh, from Henry, it certainly lost its rock star status. Uh, and Bega is a yes from both. So uh, as a result, uh, Bega goes into the Calls Fantasy portfolio and Harvey Norman, which was already in it, actually stays there. Uh, that's our show for today. If you'd uh, like any stocks for us to analyze them, for me to put to our expert panel, uh, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. You can take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio by going to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And don't forget, next week our special series uh, will be looking at stocks to have on your watch list if there's a crash in the markets, a big pullback in the markets. Um, a common theme over the last week or two from a lot of our expert panels has been, gee, the volatility in the share market is a bit scary at the moment. Um, stock prices are really high so they have their favourites that are too expensive at the moment and they have this list of what they'd buy if there was a big pullback so we've got to put together our own list over the next two weeks so uh, stay tuned for that When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.